Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. Did you ever watch the Twilight Zone? Remember the Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember, he, he, he loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was oh, down on yeah, basic glasses. What about the mannequins that got two weeks off and turned into humans, and they were allowed to go out and shop for two weeks on their own, and then this one came back, and it was over two weeks, and the other mannequins went come over here. For Welcome, me. everybody, to Zoning Out. I'm Christopher Feinstein. Contacts. Frank Bonacci. Name's Ash. Housewares. And Judd. We are here today to talk about Season 1, Episode 23 of The Twilight Zone, A World of Difference, with an air date of March 11th, 1960. A businessman sitting in his office inexplicably finds that he is on a production set and in a world where he is a movie star. Uninterested in the newfound fame, he fights to get back to his home and family. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are enjoying the show, please do us all a favor. Share. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Fellas, what do we think? This episode is another masterpiece of direction. This is so well directed, this episode. I was blown away by this. Yeah. Fucking Matheson's ag- again. Matheson, Matheson yeah. comes through. Yeah, Richard Matheson right, gets the writing credit on this one. Yeah, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. It's that, that first beat. When he's just going mm-hmm. through his normal things in the office and he just looks over and the whole production staff is just staring at him. Yeah. I said, what the fuck is going on? Oh, for heaven's sake. Cut. Come on, Jerry. Is it so hard to make a phone call? So disorienting. And when they yeah. keep cutting back, there's a few moments where they cut back and he's clearly not on the set anymore. He's right. in that reality. To keep flipping back and forth between those two realities so well. And it's so jarring, but intentionally yeah. fantastic. Amazing. Uh, when I was started this one, I remember like I was a little groggy and then you just hear cut. And I'm like, Oh, oh no. they don't immediately <laughs> oh, switch no. to that shot. Like they lingers. Like, did I just hear? Cut? Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's so good because oh, you're, because you, you're confused. You're, right. you're him. You're him in that moment. Like, whoa, whoa, this is, <laughs> this is the, sh- what did I, was I cut? Did I hear? And then you become the guy. And for 25 minutes, you are the guy. You don't know what's going on. Yeah. I mean, the, like the, the pacing is perfect. This is one of those where it's like, I, I'm glad it was not longer. I think 25 minutes is perfect because then there's no extra bullshit. It's just boom, no. boom, 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 boom. It never stops. The script yeah. is so tight. Relentless. So tight. It's great. And inexplicable. Like there's no explanation given one way or the other. It's just, it's nightmare. Lo- it's dream logic. It's just like, I don't understand what, what just happened. There's no way to rationally explain this. It never takes any dumb detours in the in the plot either. No, no. The wife shows up. It was a bit much. Are you out of your mind, Jerry? If you're drunk again, take so- your hands off me. 
Look, I don't care if they bounce you. I don't care if you never work again the rest of your miserable life. But you're going to pay me what the judge tells you to pay me, or so help me, I'll put you so far behind bars they'll never find you again. Mrs. Reagan. Not Mrs. Reagan anymore. She's a bit much. <laughs> Listen, she wants her fucking money. He's a deadbeat, apparently. Holy shit. He's a drunk and a deadbeat. I love that she's called a harpy. That's oh, my yeah. favorite. By, uh, what's his name? Uh, Darren Stevens' boss on Bewitched. David White? Yeah, uh, Larry Tate, yeah. All right, I might as well go through this one. Take us, take us through. Take us through. So Arthur Curtis is a guy going to his job in his office. He's a successful businessman. He's planning a trip with his wife. He gets to his office, talks to his secretary, and he tries to make a phone call. His phone's not working. And then we, we as we just discussed, he hears somebody yell, cut. And he's like, what the hell is that? He turns around and he's now on a soundstage. And there's an entire camera crew is just looking at him like, what are you doing? So everybody starts yelling at him, like, what are you doing? The director starts yelling. I'm warning you, Jerry, they won't take it anymore. Why is a boy, you're on the edge. Jerry? Oh, it's okay, Marty, it's okay, just a little gag. All right, we'll try it again, shall we, Jerry? We'll pick it up from the phone call. You're phoning your wife to tell her to meet you downtown at 3.15, right? What are you talking about? Well, first they cut the commercial. And then you're like, what a great hook. Yeah. Like, if you're watching this, like, for, like again, imagine we were watching this, like, 1960 and that commercial break. This is, it's a shame that shows were designed with commercial breaks in mind. Mm. It's a shame that we kind of go right back into it because that time where you're waiting for the show to come back is kind of built, it's built into the show. Right. And so, like, that two minutes, like, you, it must have been fun to just say, what the fuck just happened? It's pacing the house. <laughs> come on. Who cares about milk? Give me the fucking... I do like cigarettes, but I want to go back to my program. <laughs> <laughs> the Flintstone has been brought to you by Winston, America's best-selling, best-tasting filter cigarette. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. They think he's this actor named Gerald Reagan. He's a movie star. He's kind of on the wane. He's a drunk. He's apparently a deadbeat. And he's kind of been a handful on set because of the drinking. So everybody's giving him shit for that. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, I'm not this guy you're thinking of. It's like, he has no idea where he's going. And then it kind of flips back into the reality where he talks to his set. Like, he walks into the set again. And he sees his secretary. And his secretary's still the secretary. But he's on the set. And, like, that stuff's insane. That that really was incredible how they, they did that balancing act of that. It was really amazing. He runs off the sound stage. He's greeted by Nora, who is his ex-wife. And boy, she had it with his shit. She's complaining that he owes her money for a divorce settlement and he's not paying. He's a deadbeat. He takes the car. He's like, Look, give me the keys. I'm driving. And he gets in the car with her and he drives her to where he thinks his home is. And he's look. He's explained to her. He's like, "Look, I have a wife, a daughter. I don't know who the hell you are, lady." And I'm Who's glad. Gary? It's like, I'm like, look again. It's no, Gary. No. It's our boy, Gary. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, Lucy. And I want you to shut up. Who's this Gary? Oh boy, I got to bring that back. <laughs> he almost abducts a little girl. Yes, he grabs a little girl because he thinks it's his daughter. And she's just some scared kid. And the, the ex-wife is just like, will you get in the car before you get arrested again? No, she didn't say again. <laughs> <laughs> Tina. Mommy. 
get in. Would you rather go to jail for attempted assault? He goes back to his mansion and he's greeted by his agent, who's played by Larry Tate. He must have a real name, that actor, but he's Larry Tate from Bewitched. And he's saying, look, look, you can't lose this job because this is it for you. You're screwed. And she's looking for the checkbook. She's rifling through his desk like, well, you get, give me a checkbook. I need my cash. Jerry, where have you been? Sam phoned me over an hour ago, said you left the studio. Come on. Can't this wait, Nora? No, it can't. It's waited long enough. I want my money before he goes off in his next binge. And I'm going to get it now. And they all think he's, she thinks he's doing a bit. The agent doesn't know what to think. He tries to call his place of business. There is no such place. He keeps going through the motions of trying to explain to people. Eventually, he lines up in his bed with his agent standing over him, which is I, is weird to like that little transition. I'm like, how did he just wind up in a bed? His agent yeah. is hovering over him. He Again, he's saying like, look, he learns a situation of how the actor they think he is is not doing too well and he's just kind of screwed up his entire life and finances. He finds out that the movie that the actor that everybody thinks he is, the movie's being canceled because of his shenanigans on set. He drives back to the set and it's being dismantled. Do you know who his uh his wife was? No. She's uh Sean Penn and Chris Penn's mom. Get the fuck out of here. Wow. Yeah. Aline Ryan. I don't know why. This as soon as you said Chris Penn. He's trying to fuck me. <laughs> See that? <laughs> See that daddy? daddy trying to fuck me. See that daddy trying to fuck me. <laughs> daddy, did you see that? What? Guy got me on the ground, he tried to fuck me. You wish. You sick bastard, Vic. You tried to fuck me in my father's office. Look, Vic, whatever you want to do in the privacy of your own home, go to it. But don't try to fuck me. Out of the blue! <laughs> 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 Why don't you tell me what really happened? His face, like, it oh, like his... tries to eat its own face when yeah. it talks. It's great. Oh, wow. Uh, he gets back. He goes to the set. He's like, please, I cannot stay here. And he's greeted by his wife, his real wife. Honey? you all day long where have you been ben and he's still and again you're still paranoid for him he's like let's get the fuck out of here his secretary's like oh you're leaving he's like yeah i gotta get out of here him and his wife's like let's go on the vacation now we gotta get the fuck out of here it ends with him on the plane and then serling says the modus operandi for the departure from life is usually a pine box of such and such dimensions and this is the ultimate in reality but there are other ways for a man to exit from life. Take the case of Arthur Curtis, age 36. His departure was along a highway with an exit sign that reads, this way to escape. Arthur Curtis, en route to the Twilight Zone. Wow, from beginning to end. Just direction yeah, it's so great. Yeah. It's just claustrophobic. Uh, just when he's on the phone in the set and that that slow dolly in on him and yeah. the lighting in that sequence, just everything is just pitch perfect direction. Yeah. 
Ted Post, who's a really good director who's did a ton of films, Hang 'em High, Magnum Force, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Go Tell the Spartans, Good Guys Wear Black. Really great director. Yeah, it's a fever dream. This uh, it's super fucking high concept. This is really high concept, especially like even now, this is high concept. Yeah. Uh, and again, no explanation. Just, just this. Thank is, God. Thank God. Yeah. yeah, it's better without it. And you're so happy when he finally gets back into the right place. You're like, you, you, you think it's in a shift again. You don't really know how it's gonna conclude. The way that's directed, him leaving the office and getting out of that mm-hmm. space, which was represented by the set. Yeah, you're still nervous for him. It's like get yeah, get the fuck out of there before yeah. whatever this is closes back in on you. And when you finally see him on the plane, you're like, oh, thank God, it's over. Even the set design of his office, like his office, feels so comfortable. There's so yeah. much you know sun shining in from all these windows. It just feels very cozy. And then when that wall breaks, it just feels so dark. You're like, oh, God, you feel like the guy. It's, you know, it's like a thriller for 25 minutes. It's so well done. It almost feels like a movie quality. Yeah, it just feels everything about it feels like it's another level. Fucking it, Matheson, man. This guy's like a... It's ridiculous. And it's funny when we were going through this show again, I never really paid attention to who was writing it before. But holy shit. Like every time Matheson's come out, I get really pumped now when I get up the episode. Like who wrote, you know, which episode? And I see it's Matheson. I'm yeah. like, holy shit. This is going to be a good one because everything he's put out so far has been just incredible. You know who wrote the finale of season one? Is it Matheson? It is. Oh, boy. It's got a juicy title, too. Oh, boy. I don't even want to look. I do want to look. look. Don't look. Don't look. Yeah, after. So we watched this one. (laughs) I look. I like that. Well, well, if everybody else looks, tell me. Not only do I like the title, I like the description. Oh, I I didn't go that far. I didn't dive that deep. Yeah, it's cool. The title alone, titillated. A world of his own. Ooh. And the description is a writer demonstrates he can control reality simply by dictating changes. Oh my God. So a rith- oh Richard Matheson, high oh concept, God. writer changing. Uh, oh my God. Like shit like this was not done. Like, no. Like before this show. I mean, there was a lot of anthology shows, thriller shows, suspense stuff, stuff that like played with science fiction and fantasy stuff. But this is like, this is unprecedented, this episode. And that's happened yeah, a couple is, times with him. Yeah. This is one of the craziest things even now that I've probably ever seen, where it's just like, what the fuck is going on? And yeah. it has the direction to match. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Like, nuts and bolts. Again, we watched we watch this and Monsters Are Due on Maple Street back to back for this, like, block of recording. And, and as, as amped as I was for Monsters. Yeah, sorry about the dud that was last week. But after... <laughs> After watching this, I said, "Ooh, man, this is fucking." I was, I was electric after watching this. I was yeah. inspired. I said, "Oh my god, I want to write something right now." It's like this yes, is fucking it makes you want to write. Oh my god, yeah. I said, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta put pen to paper on something because right now I'm feeling I got juices flowing in me right now." I mean, this wouldn't be out of like if you saw this done as a celebrated art. It's funny that it's a Twilight Zone episode, but like if somebody made this, if some French guy in 1967 made this as a feature film, as part of like the French New Wave, people would be saying this is a is an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. But it's just oh, an epi- yeah. it's just another episode of Twilight Zone. That's how good this episode is. I mean, the show in general at this point, the, like the back half of where we are in the season, it, it's like every other episode is just a knockout. Yeah, especially this last group. This last group has been, oh. it's a brave tactic to kind of, 
front loads your series as you're just starting out with kind of middle of the road episodes. And it's like, oh, let's really, let's wait. Let's hook them in with just kind of episodes that, you know, and some of them aren't bad, but there's a there's a lot of duds in the first. Yeah. And to pull all these puds out at the end here. Oh, boy. This whole second half of the season so far has just been one big, hard, rigid dick. <laughs> <laughs> a throbbing, 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 throbbing member, throbbing member. Yeah, it's just been knockout after knockout. It's like the last five episodes that I can recall have been all the weakest among them was just really good. Right. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, that one was it was okay. It was just excellent. Everything else has been like holy shit, mind blowing. Excluding the fever, the where we are uh, so far, like well, the, the, <laughs> well not ear must, Judd, ear must, ear must for this one part. <laughs> Excluding that one episode, this where we are, this back half of the season has just been killer. Yeah. Killer. Yeah. So third from the sun, that's episode 14. Hitchhiker is 16. Last flight is 18. Purple Testament, Elegy, Mirror Image, Monsters Are Due, World of Difference. Bang, Crazy. bang, 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 right. bang, 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 bang. Just as now it's like I'm excited. I'm like, oh, what's next? Yeah. I was excited when this we started doing this to see the episodes that I loved. Because I always thought this is how I always thought it went. It was like, well, they're showing the best episodes. Everything else must be kind of a dud. Right. But I've never seen this episode before. And this is like as far from a dud and as rigid a dick as I've seen. As far as a dud, as rigid a putt as as uh... <laughs> far from a dud. <laughs> And as rigid a pun. Oh my God, another t shirt. We just keep popping off these great t shirts. <laughs> Incredibly good. I, I can't say enough praises about the direction. And the lead is fantastic. I've never seen him before. He is great in every scene. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Sean Penn's mom, who, <laughs> when she shows up, <laughs> out of the fucking blue! <laughs> I tried to fuck my mother. <laughs> Tell my friend to fuck himself, fuck his mother. (laughs) See that, Daddy? Tried to fuck me. Tried to fuck me. (laughs) Nice guy, Eddie. One of the best names ever. And he's had some really good names. Nice guy, Eddie. What is he? uh, Who is he? he True romance. Nikki Dimes. Nikki (laughs) Dimes. Nikki Dimes in uh, True Romance. (laughs) That's right. Oh my God. I need a labulant. Shut up. Fuck you, I'm bleeding! I'll call you a hearse. This is for Cody. I love that movie. Hang on, Elliot. Hang on, <laughs> Elliot! That's our boy Sizemore. Sizemore. We slip into a room and you two split me open. Pack a coconut. Nice Guy Eddie's uh, also the name of a really fun pop song from the 90s by Sleeper. And you've definitely heard it because they used to use this song all the time on MTV. They always just use it as like transitional music. And now a word from our sponsors. I swear this city gets crazier and crazier every day. Hey, listen. Oh, jeez, we got a live one. Hey, buddy, the English nobleman in my teeth told me something. Hey, if you go to wnuf.bigcartel.com, you get the out there Halloween mega tape and other products. I bet you didn't know that. Did you know that the dust balls in my living room, they're there on purpose. Did you know that? Um, do you, you want like a dollar or something? Did you just throw a cat at me? <laughs> oh my God, are you okay? I saw everything. Yeah, I think so. I'll tell you one thing though. 
I'm not gonna rest until I find out more about how to purchase the out there Halloween mega tape and other products from WNUF.BigCartel.com. I can tell you that much. Yes, I too would like to learn more about how to purchase the out there Halloween mega tape and other products from WNUF.BigCartel.com. and testimonies heard today are pertinent to the case of Annie Marie Singleton. Seclusion. My name is Vince LaRusso. I'm a detective with the Grafton, Vermont Police Department. Seclusion. Betsy, would you introduce yourself for our records? My name is Elizabeth Stewart. Seclusion. Is there anything in your conversation to suggest that your sister was in trouble? No, she sounded... This is harder than I thought it would be. Seclusion. Seclusion. Nobody you can think of from your past who'd wanted to disrupt her life in some way. I don't know. The internet is crazy, so I... Betsy. Seclusion. Seclusion. Is there any... Seclusion. Seclusion. Conceivable reason to believe... Seclusion. Seclusion. That Annie committed those murders. Seclusion. 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 You know, I started smoking in high school because I thought Michael Madsen looked so cool with a cigarette in Reservoir Dogs. That's how I think maybe they were right to remove cigarettes from movies because it definitely was a big contributing. Well, maybe because my dad was a chain smoker and I was just breathing it in all throughout my childhood. (laughs) So I probably was already addicted and didn't know it. But I remember thinking, it's like, man, Michael Madsen looks so cool smoking. It's like, I want to do that. I want to look cool. Smoke. I just watched a new show on Peacock and the, the um, you know, the things at the top, the little warnings, one of them was smoking. Hmm. So apparently maybe that's just a thing now. Cause I didn't notice it. Splash. When we talked about splash, it was like the de- depictions of tobacco. Yeah. This was just smoking. So apparently if, if anyone is smoking now, it's like in the warnings. Interesting. Yeah. You beat this fucking prick long enough. He'll tell you who started the Chicago fire. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's necessarily true. <laughs> fucking true. <laughs> Oh, God. And I said, buddy, I will shoot you in the face. <laughs> I say that. I love that fucking lie. Whoever that cop was for that one scene is the greatest read ever of that line that anybody could have ever done. God, that soundtrack. Oh, Little Green Bag. Yeah. And Incredible. The, yeah, hooked on a feeling. I mean, that's which, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy stole. But I'm like, hey, that's from Reservoir Dogs, dude. Yeah, you build We're gonna have to have some kind of like raffle for who gets to be in the Tarantino. Oh, to man. be the to, to be the fifth to seat. To be the fifth seat, I'm fucking. We're, we you need to do the Willy Wonka thing. We'll put out. We'll sell chocolate bars, and one of them will have golden a golden ticket. <laughs> yeah. I put them all never over America. My life would be. <laughs> it turns out to be Larry. He brings it. <laughs> I'm so, gonna be okay. <laughs> Just say the fucking say words. The goddamn words. Was this episode better? Then monsters. I, don't, I, I, I think on my board it is sentimentally but, you know, no, no reality yes. Objectively, I think it is. It's so goddamn good. And you know it's weird because monsters that do on Maple Street is so. I like the moralistic, very packed message it's trying to give you. But as an adult, I like my things more. What am I trying to say? I like things a little bit more 
Ambiguous? Ambiguous. Thank you. Mm, that was a nice word. Guys, Thank keep going. I'll be right back. Take a shit. Take a shit. But he muted himself. I'm sorry. I thought I muted my headphones. I got to help Meg with the, the baby real quick. Oh, okay. Uh, if I'm a dad now. Yeah. A fucking snake charmer. Who do you think I'm going to call? A fucking doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Hey folks, Frank here. Uh, so it turned out Chris's uh, parental duties took him longer. Uh, the episode kind of ran a little short this week, but that's okay. I wanted to take this time to direct your attention to on one of our other shows called Draft Class. It's the whole gang that you like from Zoning Out. We draft some of our favorite movie shows. Something happened on a recent episode that is the hardest any of us have laughed in years. We all draft things we like, right? So in this particular instance, it was the Tom Hanks draft. And Justin, spoilers, had drafted the movie Sully. Talking about Sully kind of led into a discussion about uh, the director, Clint Eastwood. And then this happened. I just want to make it understood that we were a little very tired when we recorded this, a little bit punchy, and we don't actually condone the actions discussed in this bit. We just got into an inappropriate laughing fit. Uh, and if you enjoy it, uh, why don't you check out Draft Class? If you like this show, you'll definitely like that. Thank you. Yeah! Clint is north of 90 at this point, right? Yeah, he's yeah. got to be old. But he's still going. He's not stopping. Right? He's like, he's not going to retire. He did one. If it wasn't last year, it was two years ago. I mean, Clyde's got to be dead by now. The freaking Jarangatang he did all those movies with. So how the hell? <laughs> he did. Right turn, Clyde. There's some dust in the, in the passenger seat. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he acted Somebody in a movie last it. year. What the Don't fuck? mind the orangutan dust. <laughs> the mule, right? Isn't that what it was? The mule. Uh, Cry Macho. Oh, Cry Macho. That was it. That was called? Yeah, Cry yeah, Macho. Yeah, yeah. And the mule yeah. was 2018. Okay. He was an American sniper. What the hell? Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, his best film for me will always be Unforgiven. That's why when people say he whiffs it, I have to, t- like, you know, like a lot of people, like, I really liked El Camino. Is that? No, that's not the one. What's the other na- movie name after a car? Oh, El Camino? Gran Torino. Gran Torino. God. I'm what? sorry. I looked up Clyde the Orangutan. It's alive. alive. Oh, no. He's not alive. Oh, what Clyde do? Not what he did. Clyde, after any which way with, but loose. Clyde the orangutan was beaten to death. Oh my god! By his sometime trainer after filming. Oh my god! How do you beat an orangutan to death? I must have been pissed. That guy what was strong? What the fucking asshole! What'd you beat Clyde to death for? I, I, you couldn't just hit Clyde. You didn't have to kill her. Hmm. <laughs> it's like Sam Jackson, and Jackie Brown. You could have just hit her. You could just hit Clyde. Clyde the orangutan was my. No charges were ever brought against the animal trainer, but rumor has it that Clyde was secretly hit with a stick off of camera to make him more docile and camera friendly. Uh, They were just beating the monkey on set. No, Uh, I don't like it. No, I'm not. I'm I'm out. Hit Clyde with the stick. (laughs) I'm changing my pick now, also. Okay. Rolling. (laughs) Monkey stick. (laughs) Sound. Chris, Chris has that. We lost Chris. <laughs> Calling action on that. Monkey's neck. <laughs> oh, shit. So terrible. What the fuck? Why did I have to read that? 
Oh, that's such that's a horrific. That's horrific. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Get the guy with the eight bat back. This thing's looking at me funny. <laughs> <laughs> Take the ape whacker to this thing. <laughs> I don't like the way he's eyeing me. <laughs> I want to come in under time and under budget. Apes had a thumping. Jesus Never work Christ. with children or animals without a stick. Oh my god! Oh, that's so fucking terrible. I can't believe Poor it. Poor Clyde. I'm sorry, Clyde. I love how he wrote. Replies when he's like uh, at the NTSB hearing because they're giving them shit. I know you guys lost it a lot a while ago, but I'm looking through. <laughs> I'm looking through this, and they're giving them shit about multiple airports, runways, successful landings. <laughs> like what? <laughs> just, <laughs> trainer, just sitting there like all I can stick. think of is him getting hit with the stick. I'm doing the. <laughs> you give him two whacks for right turn and, two, and one whack for left turn. Holy shit! I'm so sorry. We can't put out any of this. <laughs> that poor monkey. What a fucking shame. What does the monkey do again when it gets hit? <laughs> 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 he turns his lips and just... <laughs> oh shit is that again. how you train them like, yeah I just come in I beat it about the head and face until it gets good calm for the camera <laughs> it's a process oh, what a fucking piece of shit I'm talking about me <laughs> Judge, you were saying about Sully. Oh my god. Yeah, I just that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I picked Sully. That's my fourth pick. It's a good <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Thanks, Sully. That's it. <laughs> Are we gonna move on? <laughs> I can't watch that movie ever again either. No one. way. Never. Oh, hell no. Can <laughs> <laughs> that poor monkey goes. I know there's a sticker coming, or it just came. It just came. I know, it's a, I, I, now I know all the flashings it took to get all those cinematic <laughs> moments of magic. <laughs> uh. I found more information. Oh no! About how? He, oh <laughs> come on! What are you gonna do? Blow by blow? Jesus! What did he do to the body? He was commentary. Jesus! He was trained with a can of mace and a pipe wrapped in newspaper. Get the fuck out of here! No, you're not. You're lying now. He was trained with a gun. <laughs> and he was. You need him to run. Hold on. Let me get the brass knuckles. Now I'm not laughing because it's funny that they did this to this, this poor, is so poor insane. monster. But it's the way they word it. <laughs> It's not right. It's not right. <laughs> he was viciously beaten the day before. No one thought to make him more docile. <laughs> so who, like, this is just out there? Like, who, 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 who wrote this? Where is this? It's in the L.A. Times. <laughs> the name of the article is, was "Every Which Way But Abuse Should Be the Law." <laughs> 
<laughs> According to Visions of Caliban on Chimpanzees and People by famed primologist Jane Goodall and Dale Peterson, the original Clyde was trained with a can of mace and a pipe wrapped in newspaper, and he was viciously beaten the day before filming started to make him more docile. The ragtag was caught stealing donuts on set. Oh, that's brought son of back a bitch. to the training facility <laughs> and was beaten for 20 minutes. With <laughs> 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 handle. How does this person know all this stuff? That's what I'm saying. It's so crazy that this was just happening. One time. With an accident. One time he had an accident on set and they set him on fire. <laughs> I but mean, then he proceeded Christ. to set him on fire for a good half hour until he calmed down. That's why they beat him to death because he trained. He stole, he stole donuts. They thought they beat him for donuts because they the thought. Death. So he didn't even he didn't even steal the donuts. <laughs> he died after the beating of a cerebral hemorrhage. Oh, oh my god! God, that's come horrible. on, man. That's so fucked up. Thank God we fucking don't. I love br- animals. I don't know why this is making me. <laughs> br- oh, God. They brutalize this ape. Jesus. Clyde won't get in the truck. All right. All right. Get the axe handle. Get the axe. <laughs> <laughs> I got just a thing. <laughs> oh, oh, I got just a thing for this. <laughs> a can of ma- they were the plank with the nail sticking out of it. Who's the guy great. that's doing this? What? How do you fucking do that? How do what's sick? That's sick. How could yeah. you just do that? <laughs> I feel bad when I yell at Pippi to stop biting me. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right turn, Clyde. And now, Mr. Serling. Next week, the culprit is Charles Beaumont, the gentleman responsible for a story unlike any you've ever seen. You talk of immortality, the business of being able to live for as long as one wants. Well, next week you'll see Kevin McCarthy at the tail end of a life that's gone on for 2,000 years. The play is called Long Live Walter Jameson on The Twilight Zone.